podcast is brought to you by Don Green at the Napoleon Hill Foundation. Greg recently had the pleasure of interviewing Don about a newly released book by the Napoleon Hill Foundation entitled Wishes Won't Bring Riches. Please listen to podcast number 680 with Don Green as they discuss the two most important elements that Napoleon Hill discussed with Andrew Carnegie, applied faith and enthusiasm. In Greg's interview with Don, they discuss how applied faith encourages all that is right and fear encourages all that is wrong. You will be inspired by listening to podcast number 680 with Don Green, the executive director of the Napoleon Hill Foundation. I hope you enjoy the podcast, and for more information about the Napoleon Hill Foundation, please visit www.naphill.org. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth, and Simon, as I do every time, Simon Vetter is on with me, a local San Diego resident, which I've known for years and years and years. And I thank all of my listeners, Simon, because over the years, almost 15 years now, just peaking 700 podcasts, um, our list continues to grow. Uh, For all of you out there, please look for us on iTunes, Google Play, Google Podcast, SoundCloud, and all the major major podcast uh, outlets. Um, We appreciate your comments. We appreciate you um, reading our blog, and we appreciate you listening to these podcasts and listening to the words of wisdom from our authors. And today, as I say, joining us from San Diego is Simon. Simon, how are you today? I am doing fantastic. Uh, Glad to be on the call with you. Well, it's great to have you on the podcast. And I'm going to let our listeners know something about you. Um, and also the book. Um, the book that we're going to be talking with Simon, Simon about is called Leading with Vision. Um, this book is uh, relatively brand new. Uh, John, and what's John's other name? John M-A-K-E-T-A. I want to make sure I pronounce that right. Yeah, John McKetta and Boney Hagman. Boney Hagman. Both of them are co-authors. And this is called The Leader's Blueprint for Creating a Compelling Vision and Engaging the Workforce. And this really is a great book, tons of praise. Again, it's out on Amazon. Uh, We will put a link to the Amazon um, uh, website and a link to the book. Well, a little bit about Simon. Simon is a behavioral change expert and executive leadership coach, coach extraordinaire. Fortune five companies, 500 companies hire him to coach, train, and advise their managers and teams and to guide them toward achieving more clarity, focus, and personal balance. Uh, his competitive advantage is to empower his clients by providing the tools to improve their behavior and teaching them how to effectively influence others. His behavioral coaching methodology focuses on developing high-performing teams that ultimately deliver consistent, positive results and achieving professional and personal balance. He has a master's degree in business and marketing. He is the author of another book called Stand Out, Branding Strategies for Business Professionals. He also is the managing director of the Alliance for Leadership Excellence, and that is www.al. EXCELgroup.com. We'll put a link to that on the website. He's at the teaching faculty at Alliant International University in San Diego. 
certified disc holder, CDR, Hogan, opposite strengths, via edge, leadership agility and strength development, inventory and alpha leadership, and 360 leadership survey tools. So uh, we are speaking with a great leadership expert and somebody who knows a lot about his craft. And so Simon, your book that you've written with the other authors here has a tremendous amount of um, data that you guys have collected over the years. You did these surveys, as a matter of fact. And the book was birthed as a result of the EDA, or what you call Executive Development Associates, biannual survey of CVO, CEOs entitled Trends in Executive Development. Of the 466 respondents to your survey, what did you guys learn that compelled you and the co-authors to really light, write this book, Leading with Vision? So EDA um, has been doing the research for the last 20 years. And every two years, they publish a survey around trends in leadership and in terms of what are the most important topics in leadership and also what are the most important leadership competencies in next generation leaders. And over the last several years, one of the top competency was critical thinking, which includes creative thinking, global thinking, strategic thinking. And that was for the last few years, top number one. But now in the 2015 survey with what you mentioned, 466 companies around the world, there's been a new competency, which is around the book topic. And the competency is how can leaders create a compelling vision and engage the workforce around it on an emotional level? And so companies basically tell us this is the skill that our leaders need. And on top of that is the skill that they are least developed in. So there is a big gap in terms of what companies need in terms of leadership competencies and in terms of what the competencies are developed. And so I spoke with John and Bonnie about that and said, okay, good, if that's such an important skill and companies need that, we want to write a book about it. And so we ask questions around who is doing it well, who are the companies who have a compelling mission and create a workforce around that? Who, what are the skills needed? How do companies approach that? And so that was the birth of our book. We then had iterations, discussions, research, and then we looked at companies and we identified uh, a lot of companies which we have profiled in our book who does that well. And so we came up with uh, stories and guidelines and topics and a blueprint for companies to help their leaders create well, the competency to develop that, that skill. You and your partners have done a tremendous job on the book, and you certainly give lots of cited stories in there. Obviously, with a survey with 466 respondents, um, you have learned and compiled a lot of information about leadership. And you state in Leading with Vision that the book introduces a new way of thinking about leading the workforce. 
that is it recognizes the need to lead people with vision because that's what the title of your book is to explain what it means in practice to display visionary leaderships what does it mean to practice visionary leadership in your estimation and can you give some examples of companies that do visionary leadership so um one of the things that's been changing in the workforce, uh, maybe to back up a little bit, is the Generation Y. They're the people who were born in the 80s and 90s. They're now in their 20s, 30s, and they have a different requirement to work. Uh, the, the previous um, generation, they looked for a job, they looked for loyalty, and they were loyal to the company. The new for workforce, the Gen Y, the millennials, they want, yes, to make money, they want a good, interesting job, and they want a job that gives them meaning and significance. And that's where I think we, we want to teach the leaders to create an environment that gives people that meaning and significance. And so uh, how do you engage them in a way that people say, you know, I love to work for this company because of the purpose, because where are we going, because that's what we are trying to accomplish. And um, so it's like you, you as a leader, you have to help people answer that question. Mm -hmm. So that's I the think, new way. I think it is so imperative. You know, I had this discussion actually this morning uh, with my wife. Um, she's the leader of a, a spiritual group. And I said, you know, it takes a lot of tenacity um, to be a leader. It takes a lot of, as you say, vision. And one of the um, companies you cite in the book in chapter two, you tell a great story about the vision of Patagonia. Many of my listeners are going to know Patagonia and the founder. And the founder's passion for giving back 1% to the planet. Now, obviously, this compelling vision was something that fit the culture at Patagonia. Um, how do you engage people or light people up and get them on fire around the vision such as Chouinard did at Patagonia? I mean, the key is to give people a voice, understand what's important to them. So at Patagonia, people are really committed to the environment, to nature. And that's why they give 1% of their revenue back. And so as a leader, how do we give people an opportunity to express what's important to them? And uh, we, we took this concept that Patagonia has, you know, they have this taking stairs two at a time. So how do you get people in the morning take stairs two at a time? So they are not only just walking to work, they are jumping to work. They're excited to go to work. They look forward to go to work and people who are more excited at work, they probably produce better results. And it's about the level of engagement that we can create. And a lot of companies in companies, people take stairs two at a time at 5 PM because they cannot wait to get out of work. And so as leaders, how do you create an environment where people take stairs two at a time in the morning? And so we're going to engage them, we're going to listen to them and also give them a sense of purpose. And that's done through engagement, through conversations, through 
guidance and, and so it's an interactive approach instead of you hire people, you tell them what to do and then you go on that way. Yeah, and it's the, the way that Chenard does it at Patagonia. It's a great study. I remember going back in years, same things with Southwest Airlines and there's so many great examples um, that are out there of visionary leaders. Now, some of the things that are important or will be important to the listeners on the show today are the attri attributes and the competencies that leaders need to create a compelling vision. And as you say, to get others, meaning all the people working in the company engaged around the vision. And in the book, you outline four um, of these attributes or competencies. Can you speak with our listeners about these particular competencies and why you believe they're so important? Uh, yeah, so based on all the, the research we've done and the, the interviews we've done with companies who, who do a good job at that, we identified four key areas. Number one is um, you got to embody courage. So you got to be courageous, to be bold, to be vulnerable, and to, to really take a, a courageous steps. Number two is uh, forge clarity to really clarify where are we going? Why do we exist? What is the reason why you want to be excited to work for our company? Number three is build connectivity. It's really around connection between what you sell, the brand, the, the clients you serve, the problems you solve, and the workforce. So um, that's a, pro a very challenging topic. It's at the end, you create some an inherent ecosystem between the people working for you, the product, and the people you serve. And the last one is shape culture. It's really around the culture you create, uh, the aggregation, all of the beliefs and behaviors and guidelines that the company has. And how do we create a culture that's engaging, that is high-performing, that's inspiring to people? And so it's a combination of care and performance orientation. So that's in summary the four competencies that we found are important to, to develop uh, to be uh, a visionary leader. Yeah, and they and, and it's so true. I think also one of them is a high level, I would add in there, of intuition because it does require that um, to be a good leader and insight and inspiration. Uh, all of those are good leadership skills. Now you just returned from Switzerland and you work with a client over there, Manuel, I think it's Granacher. How do you say it? Grenacher. Uh, it's a, a Swiss German name, Grenacher. Yeah. yeah. And he's a CEO and founder of Core Systems. And, you know, you tell a bit about uh, Manuel and why he fits the profile of such a visionary leader. Obviously, you're fresh off an engagement of just coming back from Switzerland. So now you can even comment uh, more about about his skills yeah manuel is an interesting guy i met him um a couple of years ago and uh, so he started computer science uh, at university in switzerland and then he started writing codes and software and he focused a lot on customer service and he found that especially in the telecom field uh, there are very low customer satisfaction ratings and uh, companies doing a really bad job in maintaining uh, um, quick and high satisfactory uh, customer service. So 
he developed a crowdsourced um, solution, which is very interesting. So he looked at uh, when, for example, it happens here in the U.S. and uh, I've been with AT&T and Cox Communication and, and they have the same challenge. So if you have a problem with your IT, let's say your router doesn't work, so your internet is down, you cannot watch TV, what do you do? You call your provider. And then they say, yes, we can send over a serviceman within the next week and you have to give us four hours of window in the morning or afternoon. And so basically you're out of internet for up to a week. And he came up with a, a solution that is based on like a little bit like Uber that you can log in. And so he did it for the Swiss telecom providers, Swisscom. And you can go in and say, okay, you have a problem with your internet. And then the system there are thousands, a couple thousands of, they call it Swisscom friends, who are trained in that solution, who live in the neighborhood. So it provides you someone in your neighborhood who knows how to fix the problem. You get a profile, you get a phone number, you can call that person, and you call them to, hey, can you come over six o'clock in the evening or next Saturday? And so that person walks over, usually knows your neighborhood and also knows your problem and helps you fix that problem. They have increased the NPS, Net Promoter Score, within a year, Swisscom, by 20 points, which is amazing. They reduced the overhead and also they increased overall satisfaction for the telecom company as well as the, uh, the, the clients. So I think the point of the story is that Manuel always looks at ways, how can we make things better? How can we solve problems faster? And he's on, uh, basically, I think he sold his company to SAP, who saw the value of his software, and he continues to, to come up with new innovative solutions for, for companies. It's such a great story, Simon, because, you know, when you think about the solution that Manuel created, he took people and maybe people who weren't working full time and he trained them whether he used the internet or not then he used a service very similar to uber um, he connected the people to quote experts that were in a in a, a, a shorter radius so that uh, they could resolve those problems quicker and it, it is just so ingenious when you see stuff like that bubble up to the top and people become extremely successful with it because I call it connecting the dots. You know, he connected the dots uh, around telecom and the problems that telecom was having. Now you yeah, mentioned, to, go ahead. Maybe to add to this, um, he had this vision, this idea how to solve the problem, but it took him almost five years to get a contract with Swisscom mm -hmm. because they were so comfortable with their way of doing business. So right. he had to prove, he had to go, he had to sell, he had to knock at the doors. And sometimes when you have a vision, you have a solution that you believe is great, you get a lot of resistance. You get a lot of naysayers. And that's where it takes consistency and persistence. And, and that's another key quality uh, around visionary leadership. Yeah. It, you know, it's such a great example, um, you know, if, if you fail, it takes five years because there are so many naysayers out there and they've been doing it a certain way. 
and people like Manuel are they disrupt things, right? But all this disruption we've seen, actually most of it is turned into good. And you mentioned that there are two types of courage, bold and vulnerable. Now, obviously it takes some very bold moves by Manuel to do what he did. And he had to be somewhat vulnerable too. You state that leaders need to demonstrate both types of courage. Can you give us an example of a leader demonstrating these types of courage? Uh, yes, it's a rare combination of uh, having boldness and vulnerability. I think a person that embodies those two qualities is Richard Branson. Um, when you read his uh, biography, um, he talks about how he started Virgin Airlines. That was in the 80s and 90s where he created an airline against British, Air, British Airways who were dominating uh, the airline business in, in Great Britain. And he had to struggle and he believed in it. And he created this airline that, that is now worldwide. You have Virgin America right now. So he had tenacity and he believed that we can create an airline that provides better customer service and better, better quality to our clients. So he has that boldness. On top of that, he has a vulnerability. And one of the companies he, he founded was uh, Virgin Gallic. So basically they created um, an opportunity for people to go up in space. So it's a 20 minute ride into space. And um, I met one of the people working there. And uh, a year ago, they had a fatality where a person died. And Richard Branson stood in front of the whole workforce and says, hey, I think we need to stop this venture because we, we don't want to continue to, to get people um, fatality. And so he showed vulnerability. He, he was very honest and transparent and he was very sorry about that. But what happened is the workforce believed in the cough and they convinced Richard Branson to continue, which he did. So I think people with vulnerability, they, they show their human side. They show that they're not perfect, that we make mistakes. And a person, a leader with vulnerability says, you know what, I make mistakes, please forgive me. They say, I need your help. They say, um, give me your perspective. I, I, I need your support here. And I coach a lot of executives and that kind of tone of executives is often rare where people show that human side, but it's exactly what gets people to trust those people and get the respect and credibility. And so having more vulnerability in the workplace, I believe is a good thing. Well, and it also shows balance between uh, the genders, the male and female within inside of us. And we know there's some great female leaders out there as well. And, you know, I just heard, I think it was day before yesterday, um, that Elon Musk has gotten somebody to buy the ticket to go around the moon, right? So in other words, they're going to shoot up and someone has actually paid a tremendous sum of money to take a ride on the rocket around the moon. And I sure hope that that one is a success. Now, one of the things that we all know is most people listening to this who have been involved in leadership at all, remember the great Peter Drucker. 
And Drucker used to say that culture eats strategy for breakfast. You guys have a quote in the book that culture eats everything for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Why are you and your co-authors so adamant about shaping the cultures of organizations and within those organizations, those leaders? We believe that the culture is defined by the behaviors of its people, especially by the behaviors of its leaders. And so when you go into any organization, from government to a, a grocery store, to an insurance company, look at the behaviors of the leaders, and then it gives you a sense of the culture. And so I believe cultures create a sense of direction guideline for people, how to react, what to do, what not to do. And behaviors is what people really uh, model after. Um, one of the examples we have is Hilti. And they focus tremendously on their culture. They actually started doing culture training back in the 80s, where they take their values, integrity, commitment, teamwork, and innovation, and then discuss how do we behave according to those values. And they, every five years, they update that training program, which every employee, 23,000 people, have to go through. And the first group that goes through that training is the board of directors. The second group is the CEO and his management team. So it starts at the very top that they take the values and create behaviors around it to make sure their company lives according to those values to shape the culture they want. And Hilti says, uh, and they're very successful. They do power tools around the world, uh, have a great brand, direct sales force. They say it's easy for competitors to copy a new product, but it's very, very hard and almost impossible to copy a culture. So they look at culture as a, a competitive advantage and they invest in it. They've been investing in it over 30 years. And I think it's one of their success um, criteria. Well, and rightfully company. so. I mean, it's very similar to the example we used with Chenard at Patagonia. You know, that culture really defines uh, kind of the DNA of the company, I say. And, you know, leading with vision, which is th this book, um, you, you guys talk about these traps and pitfalls and obstacles. And you've identified, you and your co-authors, five barriers to leading with vision. Um, for the listeners out there who'd like to know, right, what are some of those barriers and pitfalls and traps and obstacles that they could fall into? Um, can you talk about those five? Yeah, let me give, give some of the highlights here. I think number one is lack of unity, where you have people in the organization who are you're not unified, they don't see things the same way in terms of the, the big strategic topics. Uh, so it's important to, to align uh, around the core values and the core principles. Uh, that doesn't mean that you cannot have uh, disagreement and conflict, but it's really around, uh, it's like Patagonia. People really believe we need to do something for, for, the, uh, for the environment. People at the, um, 
healthy who believe integrity and commitment are essential parts of our culture. Uh, another one is lack of urgency, where people are comfortable where they are, or they don't uh, listen to the market, or they are too they listen too much to their own internal voice or their own ego. Good example is Nokia. 2010, they had a market share of over 30% of the cell phone business in the world. They sold 400 million cell phones. They had a market valuation of $248 billion. So they were on top of the game. Four years later, Nokia got sold to Microsoft for $8 billion. Their market share shrank. So basically, they destroyed tremendous value. And because Nokia got wrapped up in their own success and they, they totally missed the smartphone trend. And so again, it's, it's lack of urgency, lack of, of understanding, lack of listening to where the, the consumer is going. And the last one is around, uh, in, I call it dysfunctional leadership behavior. Uh, I work with a guy, his name is Dan. He was head uh, channel manager for uh, aerospace production company. He was smart, he was driven, he knew everything. But to the degree that he micromanaged, in, he solved everyone's problems. So people didn't trust him because he tried to always solve and tell everybody what to do. So he didn't create an environment where he was teaching, he was guiding, he was engaging, he was telling and he was ordering and he was uh, basically not taking people as serious. And he had this, this, this lack of vulnerability. Instead of going to people and saying, I need your help. I need you to step up. I need you to show commitment to help us turn this company around. And oftentimes I see behaviors that get in a way because of ego, because of, of lack of sensitivity, sometimes ignorance. And those behaviors derail the whole vision process and ultimately the success of any organization. Well, those are good um, opportunities for the leaders who are listening today to learn. Um, and obviously it's all about how we choose to change those behaviors, our patterns and our thinking. And that leads me to this last question that's kind of sum up this podcast, Simon. And in your chapter on uh, professors, or poets, you discuss the concept and the importance of reaching employees at this emotional level. Um, we Many people in this industry talk about emotional intelligence, the, the degree at which people can emotionally connect with one another. How do leaders reach employees at this emotional level, get the buy-in and alignment needed to fulfill on the vision of the organization? I think we need to get people engaged on an emotional level, not only rational level. If we tell people, here are the goals, we want to reach uh, X amount of millions in revenue, we want to create 15% of return, we want to get an EBITDA of 12%, that is rational. It doesn't get people emotionally charged. So one way to do that is use language that gets people emotionally excited. One 
way to do that is create a story. A story, a picture, an image that people can rally around. They can see it. They can feel it. Uh, one example is uh, it's a grocery store back, down here in San Diego. They have five outlets. It's uh, Jimbo's. And Jimbo started in the 80s to really serve clients with, with uh, good quality food, taking care of the environment. They are very high valued in the grocery business. And when you get into the store right above the entrance, they have their vision, which says, our vision is an organic apple in every kit's recycled bag. There's a story behind that. That sentence creates an image, a picture that you can rally around. And people believe we need to take care of the environment. We need to take care of, of, of good, nutritious um, food. That's the company that you want to go shop. That's the company you want to work for. And so as to answer your question uh you want to be poetic you want to be imaginary you want to be emotional in the way you communicate to your people and part of that is if you want to get people emotionally engaged you need to listen to them to their feelings to their mindset to to their ideas and the more we can do that we the more we capture their heart and the more they're a willing to take stairs to at the time to come to work and give their very best. Well, it, I would agree. And that example for Jimbo's, cause I've actually met Jim. Um, he certainly is a gentleman that does lead with a compelling vision and does it again with, um, I would call high quality, very, very high quality. Um, and that's a great example. And so for my listeners today, we've been on with Simon Vetter. Um, Simon is a San Diego local resident. And the book that we've been profiling is called Leading with Vision, The Leader's Blueprint for Creating a Compelling Vision and Engaging the Workforce. Um, for anybody out there today who is attempting to lead with vision and to compel your workforce, you'll definitely want to get this book. Uh, we'll have a link in our blog. Um, to uh, Amazon. We'll also have a link to Simon's website, which is Simon Vetter, S-I-M-O-N-V-E-T-T-E-R.com. You can go to his website and learn more about Simon's services, the case studies, um, not only this book, but his book, uh, Stand Out. Um, he also has a blog there as well with articles that he's written. So SimonVetter.com, and the book is called Leading with Vision. Simon, thanks again for being on Inside Personal Growth and spending a few minutes with our listeners today uh, talking about your new book. We really appreciate having you on. Thank you, Greg. Great to be with you.